I think I've always been wired for risk. And I, I say that, and I think about it differently. And that, that's an intri- always been an intriguing subject for me as I talk to other people and trying to figure out, hey, like, why don't they take risk? Yeah, why do they have no risk? And I think for me, I look back and I say, man, I, I came from nothing. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back with another episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. For anybody that's about to watch this episode, make sure that you like and subscribe. Also, go back, even though I'm super excited about this guest that we're about to have. We have amazing guests that are on this podcast. Make sure you go back, take a look at them. We've got short form reels. We've got it all there to make everything enjoyable for you. So today's guest, I am super excited about. Not only do we have someone that's running a solar company, somebody that has a podcast, but he's also an incredible guy, a consultant, and I've got my man, Jacob Jones. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited man. To get going here. I'm excited too, man. I'm excited too. We were just talking about in the in the green room. We were talking about uh, talking about uh, getting sunlight in our eyes and talking about these things that we obviously we have these small little life ailments and we're like, how do we fix them? So we dove right in a minute ago. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this thing back a little bit. And I always try to do a little bit of my homework. Um, and I think that I would say with uh, a little bit of confidence, business, but you also have kind of a, a sports mind, don't you? Oh, for sure. Everything's a competition. I think that, man, I can trace that back to when I was just a kiddo. Competition was king in our house. Didn't matter what we were playing. It could have been Monopoly, shoots and Ladders, or man, have two cockroaches. We were probably finding a way to bet on them bad boys running across, screen across the living room. To, yeah, so so with that is it, and it's a beautiful lesson. It's one thing I show you know, show my kids as well. Like we were never allowed to win unless we actually won. So in all fairness, like I got my rear end kick drug across the floor probably the first eight, ten years of my life. But I'll tell you what, that first win felt good. And yeah, so I relayed that to my kids and yeah, we play Uno in our house. So Uno is a huge, huge piece. We've got our own rules. The only rules is the rules only exist if you get caught. So yeah, you may get people that kids that are laying down three, four cards at a time or wrong cards, you know, flipping cards, trading cards. It gets, uh, it gets wild because everybody's trying to figure out, Hey, how are you trying to get over? So just a little bit fun in that. So yeah, that's an interesting, I'm going to, I'm going to actually hold, I'm going to pull that back. That that's a little cover we have here. And there was a statement that someone said, and they had been talking about kind of the elections and we won't make this a political thing, but they were talking about the election. This is the person was talking about, Hey, you know, was the election stolen? What was the process for that? And the person brought up a really good analogy. And they said, you know, if you're younger and you had to go play like a basketball game and the game was to win a hundred thousand dollars and you got one shot at it, do you think you'd be trying to cheat? Hey, I'll put it this way in baseball, they got this new rule, right? With the pitch clock. So I'm watching this baseball game the other night and it's the Cardinals and the Red Sox and Red Sox are up two runs in the ninth and they've got one of the best closers in baseball. So he's standing on the mound but he's notoriously slow in what he does. And the hitter had found out this weakness. So the the hitter would bring up his bat and he had one foot inside the batter's box, one foot out. So the pitcher, you know, only looks at from the waist up. So he doesn't see that that other foot is not in the, in the bot batter's box yet. So he begins his motion, which is against the rules with the new pitch clock. To you know, it's automatic ball, and within you know five pitches, this happened three times, and the pitcher was so frazzled, loses the game. And you know, my point to that, and my point, you know, whether it's the election or us playing Uno, is yes, there are certain rules that exist, but understand, somebody made up those rules to be in their favor. To in, in business, if you're playing by everybody else's rules, you're probably going to lose, right? And kind of that same piece in life. Now, there's a difference between ethical and unethical. You know, yeah, there's a. That I there, thought right? that that's a really good conversation to have. But here's the thing that I learned about life and about business is that your ethics and your morals will be different than mine. Yeah, 
And no, for sure, I continue to learn this and that life, we don't have the same morals. And many times we turn into, why would you not do that? And in their minds, like, well, that's not the way that I look at the world. Um, how do you, how do you handle that? Because I think that as you're instilling this, I, I like that you're doing that, by the way, I think that's very interesting. You're, you're not encouraging them to cheat. You're encouraging them to think outside the box and that life is not about the perfect solution. It's about moving the, the next rock. And sometimes you got to keep doing it. And I don't think you're trying to teach them don't get caught. I think you're trying to teach them how do I... How do I look at this situation and how do I win? Because there's many cases where mistakes are made and then the, the person makes it through. I think that's an interesting philosophy. How do, how do, you, how do you balance the two? Yeah, yeah. I'll tackle it from this angle because my wife actually just had this conversation or a similar one this week with some girlfriends. So they were sitting around and asking, hey, uh, why do you not force your kids to do this or this? And it really comes down to our philosophy. Our philosophy in parenting is pretty simple. It's to teach our kids to think for themselves and to how to make solid decisions. So we you know, really talk about, hey, what is that decision-making process? You know, give them the tools, give them the parameters, but let them make the decision. Now, they're going to make some wrong ones. They're going to learn from them. They're going to screw up. They're going to learn from those things. But then there's also that ownership part, you know, where I think you were really hitting on this or scratching the surface a little bit. Where we dive in there is, and this started early in our house, where a kid would say, hey, uh, my sibling, they made me angry. Yeah, uh, you know, we would just redirect that like, hey, no, they don't have control over how you react. You know, you chose to be angry. You may not have liked what they did, what they said to you, how they treated you, but you chose to respond in that way. So they, you know, so they understand real quick that, hey, I, I get to choose my actions. I don't get to choose, choose my consequences. So, you know, like then that. really unpacking, you know, the, the, the piece to, man, how do we get them to think for themselves? Because I'm constantly telling them, hey, there's a day, mom or dad, we're not going to be here. And I say the same thing you know, in my business and the businesses that I coach in. It's that same piece. You know, it's, hey, it's almost the very first thing I'm teaching a, a young leader or a business owner is let's go make mistakes. You know, and they look at me like, what? I said, yes, let's go make mistakes. You know, let's go make every mistake that we can. Now, it comes with a caveat. Then that caveat is simply, hey, let's not make the same mistake twice. Yeah, let's only make it once. Let's learn from it. Let's go make another mistake. Um, I'm, I'm going yeah. to pull you off that. This is interesting. And yeah. I'm going to kind of interject for, for an interesting thing. And I think that this is important for people to watch is that people's philosophies don't change. I think that once you anchor into something, um, it's something you can continue. And this is, I'm going to take you back because what you're saying, I'm going to reiterate it. This is exactly what you said. It was in 2015 in December. And you said, this right here, encourage mistakes. It's part of growth. M-A-C-C, massive action, constant correction. Yep. Yeah, that, that's something we hit on. Every guy that's in my company, man, they, they've heard that. More times than they probably care care to admit, right? And, and really what that's born out of is not being afraid to take action. Or if I put it another way, Jason, you know, would be, you know, I want to free people up, not just to fail. I want them to, you know, have that freedom to excel, right? So there's no, you know, there's no fear of failure, but there's a desire to succeed, Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's there, there's a difference there. Right. Is I'm not setting them up saying, hey, you're going to fail to fail because you're going to fail to learn. And that that's that constant correction piece. Right. Is, hey, I want I want to take action. See, so many people in life, in business, in ministry, I don't I don't care what your walk of life is. That's the problem. Right. Is they don't take the action. They come right up against it. They know what to do. They know what they should be doing, but they don't take the action. And a lot of times that's, hey, I'm afraid to fail, but out of that failure, there's a lesson. So you've got to you got to take the action, extract the lesson, both from the good and the bad, learn from it, right? Don't repeat, don't repeat the bad, repeat the good. So what did I take stock and of that and say, hey, what am I going to repeat? What am I going to throw away? Let's go make another hustle mistake, if you will. So that's that's always been 
king. Uh, one of the ways I like to teach that is I usually ask people, hey, you, or I'll just ask you since we're sitting here. So we have a race. So you're watching the Olympics. Most important step in the race. What's the most important step? Yep. Yep. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the first one. Yeah. See, and this is actually what they even teach athletes. And 99% of the time, that's the answer I get. But Jason, if we lined up and you took I the felt like I got step, loaded into that question. Eh, I felt like you I was loaded. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you take the first step and that's the only step you take. There's a problem, mm. right? So that last step is actually the most important step. It's where the winner's crowned. And I, and I go through, right? And you say, hey, and that massive access consequence, this is kind of that piece to that. Like, yes, you've got to get started, but you also got to finish. And what I love about and what really set me on that road was Walt Disney. Uh, Walt Disney, most, what most people don't know about Walt Disney is he went out there in La La Land in Southern California, and he wanted to purchase his land to make Disneyland. And he got told no. So he went to another bank. He got told no. He went to a third bank. He got told no. He went to a 50th bank. He got told no. He went to a 172nd bank. He got told no. He went to bank number 250. He got told no. He went to bank 300, and they told him no. 301 times before somebody said yes. And you think about that, right? And, and just in life, the only thing I'm guilty of is just getting no's. So whether it's in the sales world, whether it's in life, I just keep asking and asking and asking until it finally turns into a yes. So if you imagine that perseverance, if Walt Disney didn't have it, how many millions of little kids would go home with you know frowns you know on their face each year because they didn't get to go see some stranger in a Mickey Mouse costume? Yeah, so, which is also kind of strange, but that's a whole other story. Hey, I I think I'm on the same same play on that. I. I think Disney, some parts of it's a little strange, little strange, but I got to tell you, growing up in Southern California, and I've been to the Florida Epcot Center as well, there's nothing like a kid, right? I mean, you go to Disneyland, everything that you watched on television, it comes alive. I mean, what a, I guess that was the first world of holograms, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to hologram this cartoon that you've been living with, and now you're going to be able to meet them. I want to come back a little bit. Um, I know that we unpacked this a little bit earlier, and I think that uh, through this process, you've got these three things that you're doing, and obviously we run the podcast. You, you've now started a podcast, and I, I was honored to come and hang out with you on your podcast. And I think that um, the other one, and you do some consulting for small businesses, but I kind of want to go back and talk a little bit about what hooked you in the business world. Did you start off as a salesperson? Um, were you somebody that uh, was doing operations and then said, look, I can transfer it from there? What was that kind of transition? Was it in your teens? Was it late 20s? What was that like for you, the foundation? Yeah, so probably a little bit different. So I got in the sales game early 2000s. So here in Texas, energy is deregulated. So just like at home, everybody in the country gets to choose, you know, who do I get my cable from or who do I get my cell phone from? In the state of Texas since the early, you know, basically for the last 20 plus years, we've been able to choose who is our electricity provider. So I answered an ad, you know, 20 plus years ago, walked into an office and this interview, and it, man, it was like a cattle call. I walk in and there's 15 people in this room and I'm thinking, what is going on? And this very charismatic guy standing at the front of the room and he's talking about, hey, I've got these three jobs. And come to find out, by the way, two of the jobs didn't even exist. So only one even existed. So the whole thing was a sham from the beginning, just wild. But, uh, you know, I go and I go after the 15, we sit down one on one. And the very first question he asked me is, you know, or he didn't even ask, it was a comment. He says, hey, I've never hired anybody from Nebraska. So I grew up in Nebraska and I just looked at him deadpan and said, that's because he never met anybody from Nebraska. And he looks at me, he says, great, training's tomorrow. And he starts giving me the time. And I'm thinking, I'm not coming. And he says, well, what do you mean you're not coming? I said, you know, no offense, but anybody that ever came, knocked on my door where I grew up, 
Yeah, it was the Jehovah's Witness. They ran him off, right? Yeah, my dad ran him off, you know, with the shotgun. But that, so that was my understanding of, hey, what a door to door sales gig was. So I'm thinking, there's no way I'm, I'm coming back. So he says, hey, you know, here's the letter anyways and advice me this training class. So I go home, no intention of showing back up, but you, know, you can probably guess where I showed back up the following day. So you know, I show up and it, it gets even stranger because yeah, you know, it's one to nine p.m. You know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on the uh, training class, and I'm thinking, who does this? So we're there till nine p.m. the first night, and the guy says, "Hey, who wants advanced training?" And I'm thinking, man, I'm new. I'll take some advanced training. Why not? So we jump in his car, you know, me and two other two other guys, and he takes us to a bar. Now my mind's spinning because I'm thinking, what's going on here? But Jason, here's what I tell you: it is that what unfolded from basically 9:30 to 2 a.m. last call was the best sales training I've ever gotten in my life. So yeah, and our listener, your listeners are probably sitting here saying, "What?" But, you know, really what it was, so alcohol, as we know, acts as an inhibitor. You know, so when you have a couple drinks, people slowly let out what yeah. they really are, who they it's are, inhibition. how they act. You let, let go of the inhibitions, ego is, is dropped. You yes. know, you know, so, you know standing, standing on top of the bar naked. But, I mean, I'm just saying these things happen. Yeah. It, no, we saw them, you know, for sure. Yeah, uh, but that was the training. The training was, hey... I want you guys to watch how people act and interact with one another. So we were learning the psychological side of sales very, very unconventionally, but we were learning them. Mm-hmm. So it was you know, a great process. You know, I come back day two and I'm thinking, I don't even know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So day two, we're not even learning a sales pitch. You know, we're, li- we're literally learning motions that you know and to this day 20 plus years later i can do the entire sales pitch the the motions the gestures that went with it like pure greatness and all of them had you know some type of psychological effect so we were you know we were learning deep sales but he had simplified this so so easy so you know so again not not a great uh you know in all transparency probably not the greatest human being but you know phenomenal sales you know mentor so you know broken broken the sales game you know with them and didn't take me long i was out producing everybody you know in the office you know then i started out producing entire teams so you know after about six months you know i stumbled into you know this group from st louis uh was the guys that formed built and sold charter cable so you know mm. they built you know fortune 50 company from nothing turned around and sold it off uh to paul allen who's bill gates's partner in microsoft yeah. so you know they were starting a you know door-to-door sales you know company um yeah i, I was employee number three beat the lights on so showed up and helped take that company from you know zero million to 25 million in revenue and the Great part, you know, with that, Jason, was it afforded me two things. One, it was an education in every area of business. I got to learn sales. I got to learn operations, the finance, the recruiting, the HR, everything there, and the importance of systems. So they pulled in a lot of operational gaps, if you know, if you will. And so that was great on that aspect. And I, you know, about 10 years, 10 years in, uh, you know, again, you know, great education for a decade, but got tired of paying other VPs, kids through school, you know, paying for their college. So I partnered up with a company that was about a guy that was about to go out of business in the state of Florida and help scale that from zero to 15 million. So, you know, we got that baby off the ground and cooking and systemized. And then, you know, we had a hundred plus salespeople in the pandemic hit. And where the pandemic hurt us, Jason, was uh, all of our contracts, our guys were out on the doors. So we literally lost our entire, not our contracts, you know, said, hey, you can't go out there and obviously visit people at home during the pandemic. So we had to lay off 100 plus salespeople. So that was a tough gig there. And so I left there, kind of started the solar company and really started to learn all the digital marketing, things of that nature. And 
from there, uh, yeah. It, it's just been been a journey. And, you know, I've got the solar company, and that thing pretty much operates and is systemized on itself today as well. I kind of, dude, that's such a good story. You kind of want to pull back a little bit. And I think this is something maybe I'll open the door as well. And maybe I've told this story before. Um, and it sounds like it was kind of was your same situation. And that is um, when you're young, you are brought up in maybe there's different ways that you're brought up. You're maybe you're loved by certain people. Uh, mine always was like, oh, my mom loves me, you know. And I remember um, being in a scenario where I went out and I was going to get my first sales job. And I remember walking into this place and it was like, okay, well, training's tomorrow, kind of the same scenario. It's like, oh, okay, training's tomorrow. I'm like, okay, well, come back tomorrow. And I remember walking in and it was only two of us. It wasn't as big of a thing, but we went in the back and we sat down and he stopped and he looked straight at us right to the face and says, Jason, I can tell you're a really nice guy, but if you can't be okay with someone not liking you because you're a piece of shit, then this probably isn't for you. And this was around kind of the same time that you're talking about. I was right around that time, 2099. Um, and I think that at that moment, I'll never forget, uh, you know, he goes, people aren't going to like you. And in my first thing, I was like, that's not what I was taught. My mama loves, mama loves me. I'm like, why would I do that? But the mindset that he put into me was that it's not about, it's not about that emotion of them liking you. It's about positioning yourself for them to get what they want. And once I was able to kind of realize that, I was like, okay, so I can go out there and act a certain way because I'm not trying to get them to like me. I'm getting them to buy something. And once he kind of turned that in my head, I became a savage. But I, but it was a mindset change. It was literally a shift. Did you have that kind of same experience? It sounds like it was like, oh, you know, like, you know, that shift that your brain has to change i think here's the thing even from the beginning it was everything was highly systemized so it really took the emotion out and mm -hmm. that was kind of the that was kind of the beauty because it was even explained to me right that hey here's here's how many people you're going to talk to you here's what's going to happen this many are going to do this this many are going to do that and then there was almost this challenge Go try to disprove it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of set out that way in the beginning. And but I just did the action. The one thing that I could control, right, is hey, how many people I talk to. And literally everything else lined up. So so I say that, and, it, and what I tell people today is I'm not going to pretend that things don't exist. You know, racism, you know, hey, people liking you, not liking you, but Here's what I understood early on, and I and I think it was it was a blessing, and I and I hope that everybody catches this is those things do exist, but those people when that shows up at your front doorstep realize it was not about you, like that was imparted in them when they were knee high, some kid running around, somebody didn't teach them right, you just got the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. So if you can, you know, take that emotion out of that and you realize that, hey, whatever this person, whatever they say to me, whatever happens in this scenario, it's not truly about me. It's about them. Things go a whole lot smoother. Yeah. And, you know, and it's the emotion that kills us. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm always I'm always trying to get people to understand you cannot be a slave to your emotions. You can't be a slave yeah. to your feelings. You know, you've got to take ownership of those things. And that doesn't excuse other people. It doesn't excuse, you know, ugliness or whatever it is we face, but you can't control that. To a good, you know, great mentor of mine always said, Hey, you know, we, you know, we, we get to control how we react to things. We don't get to control how people react to us. Or that's, as I said earlier with the kiddos, right? You get to choose your actions, but not the consequences. So it's, it's just such a powerful thing of response, right? And that's taking like responsibility the way you respond to things. I think that working in sales, we both kind of came from that original cloth um, that really puts you in a good advantage. I made a joke when I was younger because I, I sold cars. That was my first thing. And if you're going door to door and you're knocking, that that's kicking your butt too. But once you once you realize two things, and this is something maybe you realize it was like some they're gonna they're gonna buy it from someone else if I don't sell it to them. 
that's when I realized, well, you might as well do the thing that they're going to, that's going to pull them to buy it because someone's going to sell this to them. Might as well be me. Well, yes. And, and there's, and that factor is huge. And that's one we obviously, Hey, it was in part on you. And one that we train on train on as well is if you believe, Hey, you've got a product and that product or that service helps someone, they're going to get it somewhere. The question is, are they going to get it from you? And that's that's the truth of it. And all that is, is understanding, hey, people, people buy because there's a gap and it's mm -hmm. widening up, widening up. What is what is that gap? You know, there's two things that move people to make a decision. There's either you know a pain or there's a pleasure. And I'd love to tell you know, everybody listening and watching that most people do that for pleasure. But that's not the case. You know, most people move because of pain. Because they, they're either in a spot where it hurts so bad or they won't move because it doesn't hurt enough yet. So my job was always make the pain so great. And this is you know, anybody that we audit their sales you know, program and talk about this. It, it's almost backwards from what they probably traditionally learned because you know, they've got some fancy pitch and I don't have a fancy pitch. Yeah, and the reason I don't have a fancy pitch is we've got to deal in the pain. And until the pain's bad enough, we don't even get to talk about our product or service. So, hey, if we can accomplish that in 30 seconds, great. If that takes 30 minutes, great. But we need to understand, you know, that pain has to be ratcheted up so much that that prospect is almost begging us for a solution. Because here's, you know, here's one thing I've learned you know, through sales and in life is people don't care, really care what the solution is. Yeah, you know, the solution has mm. to work because that's what's mm -hmm. going to get them to keep coming back. But what people don't want is a problem. To Ooh, you stop, you, you stop and you think about that in in your own life. When there's a problem, first thing that com comes to mind is how do I get rid of this, or how do I forget about it? Yeah. And so it's figuring out, hey, you know, that problem, what is the problem and how is that how is that problem so big that they have to take action on it today? Because then they're open to almost any solution that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. And I couple, you know, I couple it with this and then, you know, uh, I'll get off the, you know, sales high horse. Yeah. You know, but one of the things I always you know, use as an example is there is never been one thing in the history of mankind that has ever been bought based on logic um you know hopefully people let that sink in you know yet we try to sell everything logically and i and i say that right so we buy with emotion and we justify with logic so if we look you know each look and say hey that shirt that we have on today you, you may have walked into the, you know, wherever you bought it, what you didn't ask that salesperson was, hey, where's the cheapest shirt you have in here? So mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't a price issue. You know, it, price mattered that you could afford it, right? And then you justified with price and with logic that, hey, maybe it was on sale. Maybe it was, yeah, it was on, it, it was last season's whatever. So you got a deal on it, but you bought it because you thought it looked good on you. And I always tell people, mm -hmm. you know, hey, we can disagree, uh, you know, whether it looks good on you or not, but you bought it because it looked good. Nobody walked in you know, anywhere and says, hey, give me the cheapest car on the car lot. You, mm -hmm. Otherwise, you walk out with you know, a lemon, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important that, hey, they see them. And the way that I kind of figured that out is, you know, we were blessed to have a Lamborghini dealership next to one of my sales offices. And... It always blew my mind because at that dealership, they had a lot just like a Chevy dealership, but there were no cars on it. It's just this big yeah. empty lot. And inside they had, you know, three or four models, you know, one of each. And they would sit in there and the guy would talk to you about it, like, you know, um, yeah, hey, well, what color do you like? You know, oh, you know, I like it in red. Yeah, well, would you like this or this option? Well, this option. He'd be like, Great. Uh, yeah, just keep looking around. Um, next thing you know. And I don't know where it's like they magically came out of somewhere. He would pull around the red with the leather, you know, every speck that you had all of a sudden was sitting in front of the building. And then he'd put you in the car and you go driving off. And so I'm talking to, you know, talking to the sales guy and he says, yeah, he says, I've never sold a car in my life. 
I'm thinking, oh, you seem pretty successful. And he says, no, he says, what I sell is an experience. Yeah. Yeah. When, I once for, you're in uh, that car. I worked for Harley Davidson. Yeah. And um, that was the first time that I was able to recognize that people really do buy this idea. And Harley Davidson is a great example because the more that I realized that really what they were trying is a couple of things. One is they're trying to be like their grandfather that was in war at the time. This is a few years back. You know, oh, my grandfather had a Harley. So they have a story, right? Oh, I could be like my grandfather. And then the other one is I could be a badass, right? Weekend warrior. You know, on Sundays, I'm going to put on my vest and I'm going to show up on this motorcycle and people are going to think I could fight and you know, all that that stuff. Or it might be someone that's, you know, maybe they're single or whatever. And I'm going to impress, um, impress my friends by having a girl on my bike. I mean, these things are psychologically engraved. It's, it obviously is once I turn the throttle and I have all that loud noise, mm -hmm. people are going to recognize me status. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that once I figured that out, I went, man, they would always make fun of me because uh, they'd always be like, Jason, you don't know nothing about the motor. I was like, I don't need to know anything about the motor. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're like, what do you mean? I said, it doesn't matter because it was only five to 7% of the people that came in and said, I'm buying it because of this new motor that came out. It was people that came in and said, I have this experience that I want to fill. And now this is the, the motorcycle that fills that experience for me. Oh, what do you, what is it that would work for me? And then that's when you start to kind of play something. So I, I could see where you're coming from on that. People really do make those decisions emotionally. They make the decision. And then logically would be like, hey, it's really funny you say that because it would be like, oh, logically, can, okay, logically, can you make the payment? Oh, and then if they were like, oh, I don't know, I'd be like, hey, would, what would be going on? You know, if they're like, oh, I don't know, then you would go back to, Oh, hey, you know, I mean, if you have this motorcycle, you probably won't be going on as many vacations because you guys could ride the bike everywhere. And then in their mind, they're going, oh, yeah, vacations. And yeah, now they're off in La La Land. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Jason, we do it with our cell phones. Yeah, everybody listening here, right? It's, mm. hey, I, you want the, the latest iPhone or the latest Android, depending if you're a cell phone or if you're an iPhone or Android person. But it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. You're after that experience that that gives you. It's funny because people could care less if they got their service from AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, right? Until they have a drop call, then they want to switch somewhere else. So they yeah. justify it, right? With the price, the logic, everything else. But the experience of that phone, and yeah, Apple's a great, great example proponent of that you know example yes yeah. yeah. so, i mean starbucks all of that i mean you stop you stop and you think it's people buy experience experiences all the time mm -hmm. but so many companies are out there and they're trying to sell that hey i've got this price or i've got the lower price or i've got that and yeah i'm always educating folks i i've never been the lowest price and as i tell anybody and we train our guys on it's you, you kind of get three yeah you can have the lowest price you, you could have the best experience or you could have the best product so you can pick one maybe two of those but you don't get all three mm -hmm. yeah because the best product and the best experience isn't going to come with the lowest price so you know once you get buyers to understand that price gets thrown out the window i mean all of a sudden it really does Dave, and we see it all the time in our solar business, you know, where we go in and we're five, ten thousand $10,000 more expensive than the other bids. But they go with us because of the experience and because of the quality. So when they understand that, hey, here's what you're getting, here's what you're buying, you know, that's that's king. Uh, and the other guy, hey, it was all about price. And he was giving you Walmart equipment. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you get you get Walmart equipment, you get the Walmart price. You're probably going to have a Walmart experience. Now, I know that you went through solar and it sounds like you had, you kind of cut your teeth on sales and obviously you learned through the process and emotional sales and doing all those things. But then there came a point where you now had to run a business and um, that transition from sales to operational standpoint, how did you handle that? Yeah. And that's where I said I was, I was blessed from early on because you know even going back to you know mid 2000s i ran you know 
divisions and I was responsible for the PL, the operations, the recruiting. I mean, mm. nuts and bolts for the businesses. I, I was basically running a business inside of a business. So, yeah. you know, I had great, great mentors, you know, with that. So by the time I went and did that to myself, I'd already been doing it for years and years and years. So nothing was nothing was new in that regard. Uh, yeah, I, I think the one part is, hey, you, you don't have anybody to fall back on. That was probably mm -hmm. the, the the biggest piece. But one thing I've always done, Jason, is everything for me is a system. And it's, hey, how do I make it simpler and simpler and simpler? Mm -hmm. A lot of folks go and they complicate. And I always use my youngest is 12 and I call her my litmus test. You know, if I want to teach something, I go to my 12 year old. Well, you better, you better put that, uh, that, uh, that fairy dust, you know, so yeah. she could stay young, you know, just, I'm telling you, I tried it on a bunch of kids. It, it, they kept growing, man. That thing's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. I tried it, you know, stay young. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah. If it's going to be reproducible, it's got to be simple. And that's that's what most people miss, right? And their business or you know, their sales or their operations, none of it's reproducible. It all hinges on, you know, some talented person because it's not reduced to the ridiculous. Yes. Can yeah. it can a 12-year-old do it? And if a 12-year-old can do it, now we can reproduce it. Now we can build a system out of it. So I, that's just always me is, hey, you know, we run into friction. How do I take this friction away? I always, you know, tell leaders and companies, your job is to make the people you have the privilege to lead their lives easier. How do you remove roadblocks? How do you get rid of red lights? So how do we go simple, simple, simple? And that's mm -hmm. just always been my mantra. I think that's that's really good. I think that um, one of the questions I've had: what, what's your thoughts on solar uh, moving forward? We've got a lot of, especially out here in California, we're supposed to have some um, some incentives that we're going to be dropping off. Um, how is that happening out there? Yeah, so every state's different. So we, you know, I operate in three states: Texas, Oklahoma, and Florida. Uh, and each one of those has its own challenge, its own you know different regulations. Uh, so I think, you know, when I look at it, now's, now's the best time, you know, for a homeowner to go solar or someone to invest in solar. And I, and I say that, uh, like here in Texas, you know, our, our legislators that have been tied and had their hands in the pockets of the big energy companies for decades, they're passing legislation to, you know, bring on more and more, uh, you know, more and more coal, nuclear, you know, natural gas plants. Mm. You know, as I tell people, you it, it's a it's a recipe for disaster. And I and I say that it, it's good for them. I mean, here's here's what happens, and here's how I always, I always tell people, you know, hey, why why solar? Mm -hmm. you, 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 what we're doing today is not sustainable, and why why it's not sustainable? There's a couple reasons. You know, that first that first one is the game plan across the country and especially here in Texas is to dig something up, light it on fire so you can watch Netflix and chill. So the problem with that is it's a natural resource. So if you learned anything in school and economics, you know, what what you've got to come to grips with is the more that we dig up and light on fire, the less there is. So now there's a higher demand, you know, this whole supply and demand. So the price has to go up. There's less of it. It's more valuable. So, you know, so that's going to drive up prices. Mm -hmm. That second is population. You know, as more and more people and we get more, we use more and more, you know, electricity, that's going to drive up the cost because, hey, now we've got less of it, but we've got a higher demand. So, you know, when that supply meets the demand, it, it just has to go up. Mm -hmm. And then you add in politicians on top of it that, you know, again, you're greasing yeah. each other's pockets. It gets even worse, right? Because, yeah. hey, I've got to protect them because they're the ones that are donating to, you know, my campaign. And they write the laws. I mean, those guys are they write the writing laws. the laws. Yeah. And those are the ones that yeah. are lobbying for, you know, the regulation. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so when you look at it, 
And, you know, this isn't just, you know, that we're talking the solar industry, but this happens in many industries. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it just, it just happens in the energy industry. There's billions yeah. and billions of dollars. And here's, here's what we know is without renewables. So, you know, we talk, you know, hydro, you know, we talk, you know, so, you know, solar from the sun or wind without those, America couldn't keep the lights on. It's the only thing that's keeping it affordable. Um, you know, homeowners and business owners really have two choices because, you know, whether you believe in solar, you know, whether you, you know, believe in helping the environment or not, all of that's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're going to have some solar guys that listen here and I just debunked their entire sales pitch. But, <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing at the end of the day is that's irrelevant. I don't care if you believe in solar. I don't care you know, if you, know, you, you believe it helps the planet, hurts the planet. I don't care. Here's here's your here's your options, and here's you know where the rubber meets the road. You have solar now, and you know most homeowners are thinking, huh? And well, your utility company is building solar farms. They're building solar. Yeah. Yep. Well, who do you think's paying for that? You are in the in the form of rate increases. So you really have two options. You can continue to pay. You know, and do what you're doing, and you can continue to pay them to build solar, or you could pay for your own, and you get the benefit. Because you know, right now they're getting the tax break. They're, you know, the, you're it's the Bitcoin for, of energy. It is. You know, they're they're you know, you're paying. You're they're getting the tax break. You're paying them to build solar farms where you could pay that. You could get the tax break, and not only that. Is hey, you know, however long, whether you pay cash or you finance it over 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you also have an end date. And this is what I tell every homeowner or business owner. You know, hey, if we're looking at a 15-year loan product as an example, we'll just tell them, hey, let's call your current electricity company and let's just tell them, you know, propose this. That how about right now you freeze my rate for forever? And then at the end of, you know, 15 years, you never send me a bill again. Mm-hmm. And if they take you up on that offer, run, because that's what we're talking about here. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and what a homeowner needs to understand or you know, just anybody needs to understand is where it doesn't affect you. And this goes back to the pain, right? Where we're, you, know, you want to create that pain. So here, here, they don't feel it right now. So what I want to talk about is, hey, yeah, here's what it's going to cost you. How much do you have in your 401k? Because mm. you know, here's what we know is every 10 years, electricity rates double. So if you're paying 300 now, you're going to pay 600. You're going to pay 1200. It's just, it's like clockwork. It's been that way for the last 40 years. So when you retire, how are you going to pay the electric bill? Like that's, that's a real question. Yeah. Um, we need to discuss that. Yeah. So before we even start talking about sort, I need to understand how are you going to afford this? Yeah. Do yeah. you have enough in your four hundred one k? Yeah. Are you going to sell? You got a rental property you can sell? Yeah. Are you going to have to? You're going to have to take out a you know second, third mortgage just to keep the lights on? Well, and at that level, even if you did it, if it was three hundred bucks, you got thirty six hundred. You can even math out. Hey, if you're retired, you got five years. You've got yourself yep. almost twenty thousand dollars. Yep. Uh, and then we reverse it, right? We talk reverse it. Yeah, we talk about, hey, now all this savings, what can you do over the next 15, 20, 25 years, da, da, da. So, you know, so again, going going back to that is solar, you know, solar is inevitable, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day. You know, the real question is, are you going to pay for yours? Are you going to own it or are they going to sell it back to you? Correct. Now, I know one thing that we talked about, and I kind of wanted to get on this, and, and you have a, a consulting with small businesses, and I know that you have a background in sales. Um, and I think that the reason that you go in on the sales first when you work with somebody is because that's a really good win. If you, you, you I mean, you could go in and you could say, "Hey, by the way, I fig- I fixed your IT problem." <laughs> it, it ain't nobody gonna be jumping around. They're gonna be like, "Oh, great, fixed it. <laughs> Thanks for fixing my IT." But if you go in there and you add revenue to the business, you become the farmer. You help them become, um, you know, the person that's going to be able to bring home food to the family. And when you do that, what is the next thing that you like to look at? Yeah, yeah. For, for us, everything goes hand in hand. Yeah, here's here's what I find is we go in, and yes, yeah, sales is the easy one. 
I've built sales teams for years and years and I've got that down to a science and who doesn't, I never met a company that doesn't want more like that regardless yeah. who they are. Right. Or a better uh, running salesman. Do, <laughs> yeah. But, but what you understand <laughs> when you get in there is everything is tied to sales and that's what a, a lot of companies miss. Right. So, we, you know, we get in there and we talk about, Hey, why did you hire this guy? Oh, well, he was charismatic. And mm. I, what people would probably you know, find, in, I don't know, interesting or it would shock them is I actually prefer to hire introverts for sales positions. And that's probably a little bit wild because everybody thinks, hey, I want the guy that's an extrovert, gift a gab, da, da, da. Uh, but usually what you don't get there is a whole lot of empathy. You know, they mm -hmm. want to talk over and they want to win a conversation where that introvert is high on the empathy scale. So we can teach them sales techniques, how to have a how to have a good conversation mm -hmm. and go that route. You know, so but what I'm hitting on there is you know, now we're talking recruiting. You know, now we're talking staffing. You know, then we start to talk, you know, from that point, you know, we begin to look at their systems, you know, their tracking systems, so, you know, their CRM. Now we're into the operations. Now we start to talk about, hey, their comp plans. We're into the finance and what they begin to see, you know, uh, all the way down to marketing. Like, hey, you're mm -hmm. getting the wrong leads in to talk to you know, your salespeople. Like you're wasting their time and you're wasting money here because you don't even understand who your ideal customer is. Yeah. So, you know, we, we begin to break that down. Sales is the heart of that because it's what pumps out revenue, right? Every and you get the most data. Some, yes, but it's yeah. literally tied to everything. And you know, and what I see, you know, often, and I, you know, and I learned this because one of my largest clients for you know seventeen years was AT and T. Mm -hmm. um, I used to tell the joke that, man, they could they could go in tomorrow and lay off everybody with a social security number that ended in five and not miss a beat. They've got that much fat. But mm -hmm. yeah, I was down at you know, when SBC's headquarters was in San Antonio. I went down there for a meeting and I'm talking to you know, the guy in the meeting. And, you know, there's somebody else that I had a relationship with AT&T and I asked him, Hey, can you point me to their office, you know, where they are in this building? And he says, Oh yes, I, I know her. We're on calls twice a week. And mm. I'm thinking, awesome. And he says, well, yeah, she's out in California. And I'm scratching my head thinking the swore she was based out of San Antonio. And so, yeah, he, we end our meeting and I'm walking on the to the elevator, literally Jason on the same floor. I look over, here's this lady's desk. Now, mind you, they're on the same team. They have calls twice a week. They work on the same floor and did not know each other. And, you know, what that taught me was that, Hey, even these fortune five companies are so disconnected from one part of the business to the other. And yeah. Yeah. So, so learning that, like, it doesn't surprise me that a small business would be as equally as messed up. So, you know, say to answer, you know, Hey, sales is the easy, easy way in because that's the heart of the business. You know, it's where, Hey, we're pumping out revenue, everything yeah. can grow. Plus it's selfish, right? Because, Hey, if I can create more revenue, that's more that you can pay me to do other things. I've always said, uh, you know, it, 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 at least this happened to me. It was like, the sales are like the rose, you know, like if you can go get more sales, the rose is beautiful. It looks great. But the problem is if the, if the rose starts to die, there's thorns on the actual uh, stem. And so as you get your sales and you can start getting yourself into some momentum, now you got to go back and clean those operations up so that you can sustain the actual, the, the momentum that you created. And I see quite often is they'll stay on that. And I was guilty of it too in my first businesses is that I just only stayed on sales. And I was like, we can fix the problem with sales, fix the problem with sales. And yes, you can, but really you mask it. You mask it with sales. So you have to kind of go back and then layer those pieces of communication, which is I think what you what you laid out. What, what do you think is the passion or what inspired you um, to get into business and to take the risk that you take? Yeah, I think I've always been wired for risk, and I I say that, and I think about it differently. And that that's an intrig always been an intriguing subject for me, as I talk to other people and trying to figure out, hey, like why don't they take risk? Yeah, you know, why do they have no risk? And I think for me, 
I look back and I say, man, I, I came from nothing. Yeah, like I said, it's I had two. My parents were both seventeen when they had me. To they both worked at McDonald's. So if you think McDonald's pays a lot today, rewind to the late seventies. Uh, yeah, Twenty five cents an hour. We, yeah, we we didn't have a lot. Uh, yeah, we 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 learned how to eat you know potatoes every way you can imagine. But yeah, the, the thing with that is because I came from nothing, and because even coming up. Like, man, I found ways to blow more money than I spent early on in my career. Uh, you know, early 20s, worst thing you can do is let somebody go out and make 150, 200 grand a year. Yeah, I was doing that in my, I was yeah. 20, 24 what, years old. Yeah. You don't know what to do with it. Um, that That's one piece, you know, hey, they, 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 nobody ever taught me early on was like, mm -hmm. hey, what, what do you do with this money? How do you make that money work for you? How do you invest it? I had none of that. So I went through cycles early on where, man, I would make great money. But at the end of the year, I'd look around and be like, man, what do I got to show for it? And I tie that to the risk because the one thing about me is I'm not afraid to lose it all. That is, that there's zero fear in my body about that. Because mm -hmm. I know I like that hey, tomorrow, that. tomorrow I can wake up and create something else. Like I have that much belief and that, so that fear of losing it doesn't exist for me. And because that doesn't exist for me, it may drive my wife crazy at times, but you know, because it doesn't exist for me, for sure. I just have a higher tolerance, you know, for risk. Like to me, it's, it, there's a calculated risk and there's a dumb risk. And I, Fortunately, I've been able to you know figure out those differences over time. Uh, it's the uh, I think that's it's, it's like when you climb the rock and then you're going to have to jump off something into the river, and you're like calculating, yeah. you're like, <laughs> can I take that much pain? You're like, okay, I could do this. is It's a weird way to calculate it, dude. This is this has been an awesome podcast, man. How do how do people find you? How do they learn more about you? Uh, how do how do they find you? Yeah, so simplest place is, you know, head over to greenlighttheory.com and you can find all my social, everything from there. That's the easiest entry point. My friend, my man, Jacob, I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast. When you get a chance, go back. If you're catching this on a short, make sure you like and subscribe and also go back and look at the other guests because they have awesome stories just like Jacob. Jacob, thank you very much for being on the Move podcast, and I really appreciate it. People are going to love what you have to say. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, brother. Had a blast. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Move is to entrepreneurs.